0: selfie class work. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, but I love seeing that. That's awesome. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, my wife and I, we have very different ideas of what fun looks like. Okay. Now let me explain what I mean. So in April, we are going to Hawaii to perform the wedding ceremony of Matt and Alyssa. We're, Matt and Alyssa, raise your hands, Matt and Alyssa. Where are you? They're right there. Okay, Matt and Alyssa are back. So they're getting married um, in April, and uh, they their one thing that they want is they want a pastor to be there. <laughs> it just so happens I'm one. Uh, and so they are flying us out to Hawaii to go and to perform this ceremony. So I'm, I'm very excited about this because I've never got to go to Hawaii. I never thought I would be able to go to Hawaii. So we're going to fly there. We're going to perform this ceremony. It's going to be on the beach and everything. We're going to film it and live stream it and all that stuff, and then we, Matt and Alyssa's like, you know, we've got you there. You can stay there as far as we're concerned, you know. And so we're going to stay for a few days and enjoy Hawaii. And so I'm really excited because, I mean, I've never thought I'd get to go to Hawaii. And I never know if I'll be able to go back unless, you know. One of you guys want to get married and go to Hawaii. I'm, I'm available now. I'm going to add it to my resume. And so we're going to go. And so I, I, I want to take full advantage of this. I have all these things that I, I want to go do. And so I went to my wife, Kate, and I said, hey, uh, while we're there, the one of the things I want to go do is they have this hiking excursion where you go hiking where they filmed Jurassic Park. How does that sound? And my Kate, and my Kate goes, no, no, we're not going to do that. I said, why don't you want to go do that? She goes, because you're going to be Michael. What does that mean? You're going to be Michael. She says, we're not going to do that. You're going to be Michael. I said, what is that supposed to mean? She goes, because we're going to be hiking through this Jurassic Park thing. And you're going to be going, and then you're going to stop at some point, And you're going to hold up your hand. And I'm going to stop. And I'm going to go, what are you doing? And you're going to go, clever girl. Now. Let me ask you, does that seem like something I would do? No. Okay, stop. All right? No. All right? All you're allowed to say is amen from here on out. Okay? So, and then I had another idea. I mean, we're in Hawaii. I want to go do a traditional luau. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I want to go to a traditional luau where you go and there's grass skirts and there's flowers and stuff and there's people flipping fire and you're surrounded by a bunch of Samoans going ah, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, that's what I want to go do. And so I was like, okay, let's go to a traditional luau. And she goes, no, I do not. I don't want to do that. That sounds like a total waste of our money. And I was like, no, let's go do that. And so I finally, I was like, well, okay, what do you want to do? And she goes, I would like to read a book by the ocean. We're in Hawaii. And she wants to read a book by there. You can read a book anywhere, okay? I can't be surrounded. There's no Samoans in Troy. I'm like, ah, all right, I got I to gotta get that in while I can, right? And so I'm like, no. She goes, oh, and there's, there's just one other thing. I said, what is She goes, there's a planetarium. I would like to go look at the stars. The star, the the. I got the same stars in Moscow Mills. Like, just go outside and look up, honey. You know, you don't need to do that. So obviously, we have two very different ideas of what a good time looks like. And so we're having this debate, okay? We're, we're working through it. And, you know, and, I, and look, I, I've been married to her for 13 years, okay? I mean, I know that this, this comes up a lot because... The differences between me and my wife, how we think we should spend Christmas. What a good Christmas looks like. It's very different between my wife's version of a good Christmas and my version of a good Christmas. What a birthday should be. For me, it's like the most important holidays in the world are Easter, Christmas and your birthday, right? I mean, it's the only day where it's only about you. It's not about anyone else. My wife... Completely different view, okay? For my wife's birthday this year, that was last week, we went shopping for the VMAs. That's what she wanted to do because she wanted to be stress-free and get things off her list. So that's how we spent her birthday, okay? That was all for you people, okay? So uh, we just have very different ideas. But here's what I've learned. 13 years of marriage. This is, this is my best piece of advice I could give you as a pastor, as somebody who's been married, is that you are always right and your spouse is always wrong, Right? right you are always right your spouse is always wrong and here's what marriage is for those of you who are not married yet marriage marriage is just constantly trying to convince your spouse that that is true okay <laughs> Marriage is just completely, it's just, it's just a journey of completely trying to help your spouse understand that you are right and that they are wrong. And when they bring up their traditions, their past, how they do things in their family, you just try to explain to them that they had a bad childhood. And that they grew up in an abusive home. And that they should adopt your family's way of doing things. That's, that's what marriage is is okay i'm completely kidding please don't take me seriously okay my mother is already yelling things out from the audience like i raised him better than that right um but 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 here's why i say that right you all know this to be true i mean we've been talking about how to lead when you're not in charge when you're at a job or you're part of an organization or you're part of a club or a team or whatever it is isn't it true isn't it true aren't you convinced that your way is always the right way Aren't you convinced that your way is always the right way? I mean, you, you know, you know, you know what the right way is. You know what good communication looks like. You know what organization looks like. You know how many people it takes to finish the job. You, you know what, what, what schedule, good scheduling looks like. You, you know how it should be and you know when it isn't the way it should be. And so you know, you know the right way. How do you know the right way? Because your way is the right way, right? And many times in the frustrations that we have in our jobs, or in our churches, or in our organizations, or on our teams, the thing that creates the tension is that your way is the right way, and they're not doing it the way that you would, right? Uh, Corey Corey Covey, he wrote the book about highly successful people. He said he said this in that book. He said we see the world not as it is, but as we. Are or as we're conditioned to see it, he says it's all about perspective, right? I mean, we see things from our point of view. We don't always just see the the way that things really are. We see them the way that we see them. We see them through our lens. We see them through our traditions. We see them through our experiences. And then he says this. This is so important. He says we must look at the lens through which we see the world as well as the world we see, and that the lens itself shapes how we interpret the world. What Corey's trying to say is that it's really, it really comes down to perspective. It's your perspective that begins to shape the world around you. And here's why we're talking about this today. If there's any way for you to find satisfaction at your job, in your organization, at your church, in whatever team that you may be on, the only way that you can ever begin to find satisfaction is through changing your perspective. And here's how I know that's true. Here's why, how I know that this, why this is so important, and you, you'll know this as well. This is so important and we all know it because somewhere in the world right now, there is somewhere someone else in the world who has similar education as you do, who is a lot like you, who's had the same training as you, who's got a job that's somewhat like yours, who has the same skill set as you, who goes to the same kind of job that you do, the same kind of church that you do, the same kind of organization that you do. And at that job or in that organization or on that team, there are the same problems that, that you run into and there are the same frustrations that you run into and there are the same issues and there are the same things to overcome. Yet, in the midst of all of that, They are satisfied with what they do. So why is that? Why is it that you are dissatisfied with what you do or where you work or the team that you're on? But somewhere else in the world, there is somebody who is just like you that is satisfied. What is the difference maker? And the difference maker is their their perception of things. They have found a way to unlock this door that has led them to satisfaction. Even though they sit in the same seat on the bus that you do, they somehow have been able to find satisfaction where you have been dissatisfied. What is the key to that door? That, that is what we are going to talk talk about today. So, if you're just joining us, we are in part two of our series called How to Lead When You Are Not in church, Charge. This is a book that is based off uh, a, a book the, uh, that's made by Clay Scroggins. Clay Scroggins wrote this book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. It's a fantastic book. I would highly recommend that you buy it. Uh, my wife found it years ago. It greatly helped her uh, at her job. And so, we actually did a little small group study on this years ago and had a really good conversation about it. And so, this past fall, I was actually at the church that Clay used to and so I bought all my staff a, a copy, and I was like, here, read this. And um, and so th- we thought this would be a great series that, that Ashley could actually uh, partner with me on and, and preach from. And so Pastor Ashley preached last week, and she did a fantastic job, didn't she? She did great. And so... Ashley started off this series last week, and she talked about how leadership many times we think of leadership it comes down to authority right It comes down to a title it comes down to power. but what we 've learned is that authority does not always equal leadership. What equals good leadership is influence, and when it comes to being a good leader, and when you 're sitting on that seat on the bus where you 're frustrated and you 've reached that ceiling where you can only lead so far because you 're not in charge. And you realize there are some things I can do nothing about. I can gripe about it. I can tell people my opinions. I can share with them the right way that they need to do things. But I've reached this cap. I've reached this ceiling and it's not really going anywhere and nothing's going to change. What is it that I need to do? And so Ashley started off the series talking about how you need to lead yourself well. You have to begin with you because wherever you go, there you are. So you have to lead yourself well. And so she gave us three tips. She said we have to model followership. In order to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And if you're going to lead anybody below you, you have to model good followership. The second thing is you have to monitor your heart and behavior. You've got to know where you are. Sometimes there are things that are going on in here, and they are coming out here, or they are coming out here. So you've got to model your own heart and behavior. And the other thing is, is you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. Where is it that you want to go? Where is it that you want to do? Sometimes we get lost because we don't even have a plan. And if we want to be successful people, if we want to be good leaders, if we want to be able to lead ourselves well, we've got to have a plan. So Ashley set that up last week, and she's going to be back next week to tell you the, the next part of, of what we're going to talk about. But I want to talk to you today about that perspective thing, about how what your perspective is and how you find satisfaction in your job. And to do that, I think there's no better place to look at than the story of the Apostle Paul. If you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was a Pharisee who is a bounty hunter of Christians. I mean this guy was convinced that the way that the first generation Christians were basically terrorists, that they were people that were against the church, against the temple, and so he decided to go out and he would arrest them. He he oversaw the death of, of many people. If you look at the book of Acts when Stephen is put to death, Paul is actually there because he, he was a part of this organization that would put these people to death and who are persecuting the first generation of Christians known as the way. And so as this is all going on, Paul actually has an encounter with Jesus and actually is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then actually joins the first generation church. But not just joins, but becomes a leader in it. He starts planting churches all around the Mediterranean border and begins preaching and teaching and setting up churches and all this stuff. But in the midst of all of this, because this is about 20 years post Jesus' death and resurrection, all of a sudden persecution starts to break out. And so let me explain to you a little bit about what Paul's job looked like, what his day looked like. Because you think, oh yeah, Paul went around the Mediterranean border and he preached and he taught and that looks like a fun job. I'm sure it was really good. No, 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 no. Because every, what would happen everywhere Paul would go is Paul would be met with persecution. Everywhere he went where he preached and he taught, there were people who were waiting for him who would heckle him, who would attempt to rob him, who would even attempt to try to kill or capture him. Paul never knew what was going to happen. So he would go and these people would be there to heckle him and to boo him and to tell him that you don't know what you're talking about. And then he would preach, and he would have to run for his life for fear of being robbed, or mugged, or murdered, or arrested, or anything else. And after he would leave, then a, another group, these group of Pharisees, would come into town, and they would say, Greetings to you all. We would like to tell you about the sermon that you just heard from, from Paul. We just want you to know that that is completely false. Actually, Paul is a heretic. He, he is, he is, he's not accurate. He is not within line with God's Word and God's will. So forget everything that you've, you've seen. I mean, think Think about if that was your scenario. Think if that was your job everywhere you went, everywhere you went to do your job, what you feel called to do, led to do by God mentioned, that you were met with this kind of persecution. You were met with this, these kind, this kind of environment, this hostile working environment. Not to mention, at the same time, in the midst of all of this going on, you hear about that your fellow colleagues are actually being put to death. I mean, during this whole time as Paul is, is traveling and planning these churches, he gets word that Philip had been arrested and put to death. That Matthew, the very Matthew that is in your, your gospel, the, 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 the book of Matthew, Matthew, he was stabbed in the streets of Ethiopia. He's traveling and he's preaching and he's doing God's word and he's stabbed in the streets in Ethiopia. And then he gets word that Thomas, doubting Thomas, the same Thomas that put his finger in Jesus' hands, he finds out that Thomas was traveling and preaching and that four soldiers took spears and dug them in them and Thomas was dead. So, okay, if, if you were Paul, if you were in Paul's shoes, number one, what would your conversations with God look like? Uh, hello, Jesus, have you forgotten about us down here? Do you see us doing the Lord's work? Do you see us doing what you've told us to do? I mean, we'd have some complaints, yeah? Yeah. But then maybe you'd probably consider a job change, you know? Like maybe you'd be like, well, I think it's time to, to maybe find something. I'm going to go back to tent making is what I'm thinking, you know? I mean, that's, that's what we'd be thinking because, I mean, think of the working conditions. Think how frustrating that would be. Plus, at the same time, you have this burden in your life because the people who are persecuting you and trying to kill you are people that you're called to love by God. And you also have to be submissive to the authorities. So it's like you've got this tug of war in you. I mean, talk about tension. Talk about a, a hard day at work. I mean, this is where Paul was. So then, finally, one day, Paul actually does get arrested. Paul gets arrested. Paul gets caught. They didn't kill him, but they put him in jail. Now, if that was you, again, if you're sitting there, you're in a jail cell, you've had this terrible, terrible few years of ministry, and now you've been put in jail, you'd probably be thinking to yourself, well, this is over, this is it. I mean, lights out, call it a good day. We're not going to continue anything. I mean, you'd pretty much just give up. But does Paul give up? No. Paul goes, all right, well, time to write some letters. That's all I can do. So he begins to write these letters to all of these different churches that he planted all over the Mediterranean. And one of the churches that he writes to is Philippi. We look in our New Testament book. We have a a copy of this letter. We call it Philippians. But where he wrote it to is he wrote it to the Christians, the church that he had planted in Philippi. And so this is what he says. And, And what he says first, he goes, I wanted to let you know I'm writing you from jail. I'm in chains currently as I get this scribbled down. So he tells them exactly where he is, and then this is what he says next. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Excuse me? But what are you talking about? Paul basically writes this letter, and he goes, I'm writing you from jail, and I want you to know about this great opportunity that I have just found myself in. I am so excited about this new venture, this new opportunity that I have found myself in. And this is what he says next. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He basically says, It's this great opportunity. I'm so excited about what is in front of me. Guess what? There are so many people that know I'm here because I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm telling them all about Jesus, and I'm telling them about my love for Jesus, I'm telling them about how much Jesus loves them, and I think we got some new church members on the way. Isn't this exciting? I mean, he's pumped. He's excited. He sees this as an opportunity. And if you're the recipient of this letter, you're thinking, oh, poor Paul. And then you open it up, and you just see nothing but joy. You're like, wow, what is this? Who is this guy? What has he been drinking? Because I want some of it. And then he addresses the elephant in the room. He actually talks about all of these different people who have been against him. These people who have come and called him a heretic, who have said he doesn't know what he's talking about, who have said that he's not in line with God's will. He addresses the elephant in the room and he goes, I know what you've heard and I know that these people have followed me and they have heckled me, they have tried to mug me, they've tried to murder me, they arrested me. And he addresses it and then he says something so important. Something that I think if you would stop and understand the context of this, that this could be a game changer for you and your frustrations at your job. Because if we would adopt Paul's same mentality, it would be something that could possibly save us a lot of regret in the future, a lot of frustration in the future, a lot of time in the future. Because he addresses this elephant in the room, he addresses this problem, and this is what he says next. But what does it matter? What? Yes, I'm in jail. Yes, I know I've been heckled. Yes, I know these people are against me. Yes, they are completely trying to damage my reputation and my career. But what does it matter? That's not what I'm here to talk about. I want to talk to you about this great opportunity that I have in front of me. But what does it matter? It matters a great deal. This is a big deal. This is the problem. No, no, no. Let's stop and talk about that. Go ahead. Do you need to vent? Do you need to tell me about it? No, that's not what I came to talk to you about. It it doesn't matter to me. But what does it matter? This, This was Paul's mentality. Paul made the decision that he was not going to let this matter. If you look at that word matter, it means to give weight to something. And, and Paul, he says, I'm not going to let this matter. I, I, I'm fully aware of it. I'm going to address it. I, I, I know what you've heard and seen. But I want you to know, I am not giving it weight in my life. He, he, here's the thing that somebody needs to hear this morning. The things that weigh you down in life don't weigh you down because they're heavy. They weigh you down because you Give weight to them. I'll read it one more time. The things that weigh you down in life don't weigh you down because they're heavy. They weigh you down because you give weight to them. Now, hold off on your brains rolling because some of you are already thinking, I don't know if I completely agree with that. Because I feel like what you're telling me is is that this isn't a big deal. Suck it up. That this is not that this is something I should just get over. That's not what I'm saying at all, and that's not what Paul's saying. Because Paul doesn't do that. Paul addresses the elephant in the room. He says at the very beginning, Yes, I am in jail, and this is not fun. I am riding you, and I am I am in chains right now. And yes, I know. These people are persecuting me and following me, and they are calling me all kinds of things, and they are tearing down my reputation, and they are saying to the people in the streets and the people that I love that I am a heretic. But what does it matter? What Paul is saying is that this is, this is a big deal. It's completely, it's completely justified to say that this is a big deal, that this is terrible, that this is bad, that this is not the greatest of circumstances. But what I'm telling you is that I have chosen to not give it weight in my life. What I am telling you is I have chosen that this is not going to matter, that this is not going to weigh me down. I have chosen and I have made the personal decision to press forward. And to look forward to what God has for me, to do what I can with what I have left. And I don't know what that is, but I will continue to press on because I will not let this weigh me down. How many times in your life does something happen bad at work and you let it matter when you get home? How many times do you have a bad meeting or you get bad news or you get bad circumstances at work and you let it matter when you get home? When your kids want your attention, when your kids want to play with you, when your spouse wants you, when you've got something fun planned that night, where you've got something that you were looking forward to all the week and you let that one thing that went wrong at work matter the rest of the day. You let it matter the rest of the week. You let it matter in your marriage. You let it matter in your relationships. You let it matter in your health. You sit at home and you let that thing that happened at work weigh you down to the point you go, you know what, forget it. Forget my healthy habits. Forget eating well. Here we go. I'm going to sit down on the couch and I'm going to grab it whatever I can to try to make me feel better because I've let this matter to me so much. Even sometimes when you tell people the story, they go, Well, what does that matter? And you go, It matters a great deal. Why does it matter a great deal? Because you've chosen to let it matter in your life. I'm not saying suck it up, neither is Paul. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It could be a huge deal. But how often do you give it weight in your life to the point? where it affects your relationships, to the point where it affects your finances, to the point where it affects your health, to the point where it affects your marriage. How much weight do you give the things that should not weigh you down? What if, what if like Paul, we learned to say, but what does it matter? I won't let it matter. I am not going to let this weigh me down. I am not going to let this keep me from what is good in my life. I am not going to let this be a toxic ooze that that comes into my marriage and my relationships and my health and my habits and what I had planned tonight. I will continue to press on because I will not let this matter in my life. Then, Then Paul he says this. He says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive, motives or true, and basically he's saying like, they could be right, I could be wrong, I could be right, they could be wrong, I don't know. doesn't matter though, whether false motives are true, what matters is that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And And Paul must have known how crazy he would sound, because the next thing he says is this. Yes, <laughs> I meant what I just said. That was not a typo. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And the audience is looking at this going, what is wrong with him? He should be in such despair. He should want to give up. He should want to quit. He should be trying to look for a way out. That would be a natural feeling. But Paul says, no, no, no. There is something greater going on here. There is something more important going on here. What is in front of me is an opportunity that I won't let slip through my fingers. So I have chosen to rejoice. Yes, yes, you read me right. I have chosen to rejoice. And this is what he says next. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And then, listen to what he says next. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's the thing. What was most important to Paul as a follower of Jesus, what the one thing that he did not want to mess up, no matter what the conditions may be, no matter what the bad news may be, no matter what happens to him throughout the day, the thing that was most important to Paul as a follower is that he would always honor God. He said, This is the most important thing to me. I have to honor God. No matter what happens, no matter what we go through, I must be sure that at the end of the day, I honor God. Let me ask you something is that, is that your number one priority? Is that is what is most important to you? For Paul, it was. He said, I I have to honor God. So when he writes his letters to these believers, what he wants them to do for him, he says, so will you please pray for me? Will you pray for me? I believe that if you would pray for me, everything will be okay. I will be delivered from this. This will be all right. So just pray for me. And he, he says something very specific. He goes, will you just, will you pray that I have courage? Please add this to your prayer list. Pray that I would have courage. And if you do that, everything will be okay. This is, this is so important. So, 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 this would be such a, a thing of maturity if we could wrap our minds around this and understand the difference between how we naturally react to these things and how Paul chose to react to these things. How, how, how many times does there's something going on and you show up at group or you show up at small group or you call your friend and they're like, hey, what's going on? And you go, Work sucks. Work sucks. My boss sucks. The job sucks. Work sucks. The people suck. Everything sucks. How can I pray for you? Please pray for me because my job sucks. That's what we do. And so then a small group, we bow our heads and we go, all right, here we go. Heavenly Father, Mike's job sucks. If you could please do something about that or possibly find him a job that does not suck, it would be... Appreciate it, O Heavenly Father, Uh, because the suckiness is so much. It's just so much, so much. Amen, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's what we say. But how different would it be? What a mark of maturity it would be in your life if what you would learn is that when you come to the Father and the Father goes, what is it that you want? That our our response is not immature like a child that says, well, it sucks and I want you to do something about it. And we treat God like, like, like a lamp that we rub and a genie who pops out and we just want him to make it better. But what if instead we understood that in front of us was an opportunity and we came to God and we said, God, I've given this time, I've given this some thought, and Father, I would like to ask that you would give me courage. Father God, I know what I need. This is is the way it is, and I know what I need to be able to get through this. Father God, would you please give me patience? Father God, would you please give me grace? Father God, would you please help me be quick to listen and slow to speak? Because I'm not doing a good job at that right now. Father God, would you please give me what I need? And this, I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I've spent time reflecting about it. I am mature enough to recognize what I need to do this job, to keep this job, to have a day where I can go through and I can find satisf- be satisfied. To be satisfied, this is what I need. I need patience. I need courage. I need, I need grace. Would you give me this, God? Think about what a game changer that would be in your life. Think about how people could honestly pray for what you really need. Where people didn't didn't just pray a prayer for you, their job sucks. And I'm just here to tell you, not that you didn't already know. But if our prayer was different and we could petition for one another and come to God for one another and say what Mike needs right now is courage. What What Mike needs right now is patience. Will you give him that? Will you bless him with that, Father God? So that he may honor you and represent you well. What a game changer that would be in your prayer life. What a game changer that would be in your maturity, in your character. What if God could actually give you that? Instead of just the immature prayer of work sucks. Please do something now. You know what Paul had? What Paul had that, that gave him this perspective. What, God, what Paul had that, that, that was able to help him be satisfied in the midst of this terrible circumstance is Paul had hope. That is what Paul had. Paul had hope. And you know what hope is. The definition of hope is confident expectation of something good to come. And if you think about it long enough, that's exactly what you're missing at your job. That's why you're frustrated with your job. That's why you're thinking about changing jobs. That's why you're thinking about changing churches. That's why you're thinking about joining another team. Because you've lost hope. You're looking for a reason to have hope. But you don't have hope. And so your perspective is, this is terrible. This is never going to work out. I don't want to end up like them. This is not going anywhere I want. You've lost all hope. But here's the interesting thing about hope. There's a, a Chinese poet. He wrote this. He said, hope cannot be said to exist, nor can it be said not to exist. It is just like the roads across the earth. For actually, there were no roads to begin with. But when many people pass." One way, a road, is made. Now, I know that sounds a little trippy, right? I don't know what that means. Explain that to me. That's too long to ride on a fortune cookie, right? Let me explain to you what this means. This is what this means. Hope is not gifted to you. Hope is made by you. Hope is not gifted to you. Hope is made by you. Hope is like a road. It does not exist until somebody decided to make it. It is like a road. It is not present until somebody decided to pave it. Hope must be made by you. Hope must be paved by you. Again, your brains are working and you're thinking, I don't know about that. I think hope can be given to people. No, no, no. That's wrong. A, a lie. You were taught wrong. Okay? Listen to me. Hope cannot be given to you. And you know this to be true. You know this for true. Just think about it for a minute. Because how many times I've been there, you've been there. How many times have we sat there with somebody who the doctor walks in and the doctor gives information out. And one person can suddenly be hopeful. But another person can still be pessimistic. What happened? They were just given information. And one person says, that makes me hopeful. One person goes, nope, still don't have hope. Right? Or we've seen people be given terrible news, terrible circumstances, and there's no reason in the world why they should have hope, but yet you look at them and they are still hopeful. That doesn't make sense either, does it? Do you know why that is? It's because people can be, two people can be given the same information, the same news, and it doesn't matter. What matters is if the person chooses to make hope out of it. Let me tell you something. At your job, at your work, whoever you reach out to for wisdom, whether it be me, whether it be somebody else, it doesn't matter. We can tell you all the same information. We can give you hopeful news. We can give you bad news. We can agree with you. We can disagree with you. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you choose to make hope for you. Nobody else can give that to you. Nobody else can gift that to you. Nobody else can can convince you. You have to make the decision for yourself to make hope. So let me ask you a question. Have you made hope? If you don't have hope, it's because you haven't made hope. Have you made the decision to make hope? Now here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, okay. if you don't follow Jesus, we're glad you're here. And for you, I hope out of this message, what you get and what you hear is that you have to make the decision to make hope. And if you don't follow Jesus and you leave here and you're like, I'm still not going to follow Jesus. But that was very inspiring. You're going to go home and you're going to think to yourself, I need to make hope. Well, I'm just going to try to be more optimistic. Right? I'm just going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to only try to think of good things. And I'm just going to cross my fingers and I'm going to hope and I'm going to hope and I'm going to hope. And let me tell you, that will only get you so far. That will get you through a day, a week, maybe a month. But there will be something that happens that will turn you back towards being pessimistic. But here's why Paul made hope. Paul made the decision to make hope because of his confidence in his father in heaven. Paul made the decision to make hope because he believed. He said, look, at the end of this, whether I live, whether I die, I don't, I don't know, but I believe that your prayers, if you pray for me, that I will be delivered. That if I choose to most of all honor God and take this opportunity to honor God and make sure that the kingdom of God is known, that whether I make it or whether I don't make it, then I will be in eternity with my Father in heaven. That at the end of this, no matter what anyone does to me, that my God is good, that my God sees me, that my God cares about me, that my God knows me, and that God will have me in the end. I've read the end of the book, and God wins in the end. And I believe that, and I have faith in that, and because of that, I have chosen to make hope. Not based on what I know, not based on what I see, but because of who my faith is in. So here's the thing. You can try to just be optimistic. You can try to just create good karma. You can try to have good juju in your life. But it will always end up going badly. Because your faith must be in something that is bigger than the problems you are up against. And that is the only way you could truly ever make hope. Because your faith has to be in a God who came for you, to love you, who could predict his own death and resurrection and decide when he was going to be resurrected. If your faith is in anything else but but someone who can do that, then you are probably going to lose at some point. But Paul's faith, Paul's faith was in his Father in heaven who in his eyes had proven to him that he was so good and so big that nothing could ever defeat what he was against. Uh, A couple years ago, you know, we we went through this pandemic, you know, all this stuff. And and I remember getting the news that we weren't going to be able to have church. Can't have church. COVID spread, got to shut down, no public gatherings, no church. I didn't even know that was a thing. I remember calling my dad, going, is this real? Can I, my second question was, can they do this? You know? Yeah, they can do this. This is what we're supposed to do. And I thought, oh my, oh my goodness, this this is terrible. This is awful. How long is this gonna go on? I mean, I I I had no hope. I thought this is this is this is terrible. And then I I speak to our leaders not our leaders in our church like our denominational leaders like i called my boss i called my district superintendent i called my district office i called my denomination what are we going to do do you know what their response was please hold on excuse me this is not the time to put me on hold what am i supposed to do please hold i got an email a few days later just sit tight is what it said just sit tight What am I supposed to do? Just sit tight. So here I am. I'm in this situation. My leaders have no answers. Nobody's given me what I need. I have no no clue what I'm supposed to do. Never been here before. Don't know what we're supposed to do. And I'm just perplexed and I'm angry and I'm anxious and I, I don't know what to do. I feel completely stuck. And then I called my friend Josh Veach, who is from Springfield, that manages and created our website. And I had a website question for him because I had to put on the website. We don't have church anymore. And so I called Josh and I'm talking to him about this and he goes, so you must be so excited about this pandemic. And I said, excuse me? I mean, I was, I was almost offended because I was so not excited and so anxious and angry that I I could not believe he would say something like that. But he said, you must be so excited about this pandemic. And I said, Josh, why in the world would you say that? He goes, oh, this is such a good opportunity for you. I mean, if there's anybody who can figure this out, it's you and your church. If there's anybody who can grab this and make this a huge opportunity, it's you guys. I cannot wait to see what you guys do. You have got to keep me up with what you decide to do because I just think it's going to be awesome for you. And then it hit me. Then all of a sudden, I saw it. All of a sudden, I understood. My leaders, my bosses, they do not have answers for me. They don't know what they're doing. And really, it is up to me right now in the midst of this. It is up to me right now to make the decision to make hope. No one is going to give it to me. It doesn't matter what they say. They could say it's going to be just a couple weeks. Hold tight. They could say it could last three minutes. It not matter. I had to choose to make hope. And so all of a sudden, I took off. I went home. I said, Kate, I need, need $1,000 out of our bank account. She thought, to run off? No! To, to, to buy a camera. Cause we had no online ministry. We had no capability of, of doing anything online or anything. I said, I need a thousand dollars to go and to buy a camera for the church. The church doesn't have it. Can I, can I use our money to go and to buy that very camera that's hung up on that wall right now? So I went out and I bought a camera and I went up here. I remember I made a meme. Remember in Iron Man 2, where Iron Man decides he's not he's he's dying, but he's like, I am not going to die. And so he go, he tells Jarvis, he goes, "We're back into hardware mode, right?" I made a meme of that, and that I felt like Iron Man, like I came up here in a tank top and I just started drilling holes in the floor, like there's so many terrible holes back there in that sound booth because I'm just drilling holes into things and I'm running wire and stuff. And I was convinced that we were going to make. Hope! And then week after week, we came up here and we began to experiment and develop and try to make the most of this. This was, this was wood paneling and there were stained glass windows and lights coming from every single direction. And so we started to paint things and color things and, and shade things and understand things. I joined so many Facebook groups that I had never been a part of trying to look for people all over the world who could give me answers to make sure that my mouth matched up with my audio. I would stand up here week after week, week and I didn't know any other way to test the audio but to do the YMCA dance. I have hours of video of me standing here on stage going, YMCA and then I would go back and watch it and I'd be like, YMCA you know what I mean? I, I sounded like I had a problem and so I did it week after week after week and after weeks of tears and anxiety and stuff but look at where we are today look at where we are today Look in the middle of a pandemic when we found Ashley and Jason and the Rio Pels and added her to our staff. In the middle of a pandemic, when everybody else was saying, well, we're just going to sit tight and wait till we go back to normal. We said, we know there won't be another normal and we have to make an opportunity out of this. When other churches were closing their plant churches and bringing their resources back as tight to the chest as they possibly could and said we need to hold on to get through this and we need to make sure we're safe. We said we're going to plant another church in Wright City and we did, didn't we? Do you know where all of that came from? Do you know why that happened? It's because in a world... That was telling us to sit in our hands. To just hold tight. We decided to be good leaders. Even though we were not in charge of the situation. We made the decision that we were going to make hope. In a hopeless world. That's why we are where we are today. Let me ask you a question. Have you made hope in your life? With what you're going through. With what you're struggling with. Have you made the decision. To make hope. Hope. What if, what if, with no matter what happens to you at work, no matter what happens to you in your organization, whatever it may be, what if you could learn to say at the end of the day, but, but what does it matter? But what does it matter? I'm not going to let it come into my marriage. I'm not going to let it affect my relationship with my kids I'm gonna be fully present when I get home. I'm gonna let that just, I'm gonna brush it off my shoulders. It could be a big deal. I understand that, but I'm not gonna let it have weight in my life. I'm gonna come home. I'm gonna be fully present. I'm gonna enjoy what we have planned. I'm gonna be there at the dinner table. I'm gonna make sure this doesn't leak into the other commitments that I have in my life. I'm gonna make sure this doesn't leak into my commitment to serve. I'm gonna make sure this doesn't leak into my commitment to be there. I'm gonna not let it matter. I'm gonna not let it weigh me down. And what if, what if you could learn to pray the way that Paul prayed? Not pray the prayer, my job sucks. But to learn to pray the prayer, to ask God what you actually need to find hope and satisfaction. To pray for courage, to pray for patience, to pray for grace. You can have that. You can, you can find hope, but you have to make the decision to make it in the midst of the circumstances that you are in. Because let me tell you something. Just like Ashley said last week, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Grass is grass, folks you got to learn to water and take care of your own grass. And so guess what? You either have to learn how to make hope now or make hope later. Because you will change jobs. You will go to another organization. You will be on another team. You will get to another church. And guess what? Eventually, eventually, you will find yourself in the same place you are now. You will find that there are the same problems with the same people, with the same situations. They just have different names and different colors on the labels. And guess what? You will be in the same place again, and you will have to make decision. Are you going to pack your bags and go on to the next thing, or are you going to learn to find hope and satisfaction in the midst of where you are? It's all about your perspective. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that's so appropriate for what we're talking about. It's called Let Hope In. Figure that but here 's what I want to do, as, as the band comes up, I want you to stand, and there was something that Paul says, just a chapter later, just a chapter later. This is what Paul says, and, and I want to read it over you like a benediction this is This is what Paul says. He says, "Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This is what I would say to you, brothers and sisters." I am not perfect at this, okay? I'm preaching the sermon, but I'm trying to learn it too. That's That's what Paul says. But he goes, but one thing I do, and this is what he says next Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Here's what I want for you Forget what is behind forget what has happened. What is in the past is in the past. But tomorrow, when you show up at work, here's what I want you to do. I want you to press on ahead. I want you to press on ahead toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called you towards. That is my prayer for you.